The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 189 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story? The more we learn about the virus, the more ways we have to shift our behavior. The latest surprise? How loud we speak may matter for limiting the spread of the virus. But first, here's what happened in virus news today. Top U.S. health officials offered conflicting estimates of when Americans should expect a widely available coronavirus vaccine. In an interview today, Paul Mango, Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy at the Department of Health and Human Services, offered a very ambitious timetable. He said every American could be able to get a shot by the end of March 2021. His remarks came after President Donald Trump said in a televised town hall event last night that a vaccine could be approved in three or four weeks. But the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Robert Redfield, gave Senate testimony today, and he was less optimistic than Mango or Trump. His estimate was that most Americans wouldn't be able to get a shot of an effective vaccine until the second or third quarter of next year. AstraZeneca's vaccine trial remains paused in the U.S. for a regulatory review of an incident where a participant developed unexplained neurological symptoms, including limb weakness. But the company said the symptoms probably weren't related to the shot itself. That's according to a letter the company sent to participants in the study. The letter reads, quote, After considering the information, the independent reviewers recommended the vaccinations should continue. India's virus cases reached the 5 million mark, with the addition of more than 90,000 new cases. The virus has been spreading in India at one of the fastest paces in the world. India has the third highest death toll from COVID-19, trailing the U.S. and Brazil. The real number of infected and dead in India from COVID-19 is likely far higher than the official numbers, due to underreporting and inadequate testing. India's strict lockdown, implemented in late March to contain the outbreak, led to the biggest economic contraction of any major economy. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. And now for today's main story. We've heard there are many things we can do to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. Staying six feet away from someone else, washing our hands, and wearing a mask. But there's something else we can also do. Talk less. Speaking is a powerful generator of aerosols, the fine particles emitted from our mouths that can harbor the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and potentially linger for hours in poorly ventilated spaces. Turns out, shutting up can help shut those particles down. And as Bloomberg senior editor Jason Gale found out, if you must speak, it's safer if you do it softly. Aerosols are tiny particles emitted from our respiratory tracts that can stay aloft in ambient air for hours. There's been some debate about the role virus-laden airborne particles play in transmitting the COVID-19 causing coronavirus. So I asked Bill Ristenpater, Professor of Chemical Engineering at the University of California, Davis, what we know about aerosols in the spread of the pandemic disease. That's a complicated question, of course, right? Because the contact tracing we've heard so much about, that, that tells you who you likely got it from and when you likely got it, but it does not tell you by itself how you got it, whether that was through a handshake or through them coughing in your face or just talking and releasing infectious aerosol particles that travel across the room. But the indirect evidence implicating aerosols is mounting. The very first one that opened a lot of people's eyes was that uh, outbreak of the choir practice up in Washington State. I think it was like 87% of the people who attended got infected just during a two and a half hour choir practice. And you know, choir practice that's associated with loud vocalization. Then there was the New Year's lunch in a restaurant in Guangzhou, China, in which 10 diners came down with COVID-19. They had video evidence, which was really great. They showed that some of the people who got infected did not directly interact with the index case, except by virtue of the fact they're sharing the same air. Um, so they like, did not you know, talk, they didn't uh, face-to-face and all that. So that's another piece of evidence for some type of long-range Uh, transmission and the expiratory particles is uh, the prime suspect. Then there have been outbreaks in bars, a call centre and a cafe in South Korea and a bus in China. They've all focused attention on potentially infectious particles emitted from the respiratory tract. I asked Bill, how are these produced? There's at least three modes of respiratory droplet or respiratory particle uh, generation. You know, sometimes you're, you're talking and you see little drops of fluid come out. That's the so-called oral mode, and that's mostly saliva. Um, it's an old-fashioned word of spittle. Those, those droplets, if you can feel them hit, hitting somebody or if you can see them, relatively speaking, they're huge, way bigger than, like, say, 50 microns. So they're like big boulders, basically. And that's just one mode. The other two modes refer to much smaller particles that you can't see with the naked eye. One of them comes from the capillaries that line the bronchioles in the far reaches of the lungs. When you exhale and you squeeze everything down your lungs, these little capillaries come together, uh, kind of pinch together, and then you inhale and they expand. And there's respiratory fluid lining those. And so when you do that in in an expanse, you have a little fluid film that kind of pinches off and leaves little satellite droplets or daughter droplets 
that are now exhaled uh, with your air. Bill says these particles are about one micron in diameter. You know, I don't have much hair, but uh, a, a typical human hair is about 100 microns. So it's 100 times smaller than the diameter of a, a human hair. And so just breathing releases some of those. The, other, the, the third and final mode is the laryngeal mode, so at the vocal cords. So when somebody says, ah, what's actually happening is you have these like little uh, vocal cords that are opening and shutting at the frequency of your, your pitch, right? So my, I have kind of a deep voice. It's about 120 hertz. That means when I'm saying, ah, literally it's going like this 120 times a second. And these also have fluid uh, lining them. I should add here that Bill's lab has two high-speed cameras that can capture images at more than 100,000 frames per second. He also has various optical and laser systems for visualizing the micro droplets that are created when we speak. So right now, as I've been talking, I've been emitting particles out in the, in the room right in front of me. And even though they're really tiny, too tiny to see, they're huge compared to the virus. So the virus can very happily be carried along in these micron scale. So you have like little, little tiny bits of snot, you know, basically floating around in the air that could be carrying the virus. But Bill's research has shown that certain things can vary the emission of expiratory particles. Um, we found that speaking uh, releases much more than breathing. And we went even further. And what we showed is that like how many particles are emitted during speech is a very strong function of how loud you are. So if you speak really loud, you emit a ton, oh, way more than if, you, than if you're quiet, if you whisper. And some folks just emit a lot of particles, Bill says. Some people are super emitters. So for whatever reason, um, some individuals, when they talk, just emit an order of magnitude more, you know, a factor of 10 more than other people. And Bill says when some people cough, for whatever reason, way more comes out. But are these super emitters super spreaders of the coronavirus? That's a very challenging hypothesis to test post facto uh, from an outbreak. But it's definitely a, a hypothesis that warrants more investigation. If I was the virus and trying to infect as many people, I'd want a, a super emitter who also was a super grower of the virus, or like the virus was very successful. So you had very high uh, viral concentrations. And then I'd make sure, if I was a virus again, that I didn't make the person symptomatic so they'd look very healthy. And I'd have them go to a bar or a choir practice and have them sing and just vocalize as much as possible for a very long time. And I'd also tell the people to shut off the ventilation uh, so, <laughs> so that, you know, get the airborne viral concentration as high as possible. Bill also found that saying certain words is associated with more particles emitted. Plosives like papa produce more than fricatives like fafa, but in general, it was less important. Uh, again, if I was if I was a virus, I wouldn't care so much about what the word you're saying is. I would want to be in somebody who's saying it loudly, right? So, in other words, minor changes in how loud you're articulating swamp out the differences in what you're articulating. Does this mean people should be quiet for the sake of public health? I was advocating to some journalists who interviewed me back in April, and I said, I think we should start thinking about recommending people uh, don't talk so much, uh, especially in high-risk environments like hospital waiting rooms. Back then, the reporters looked at me like I was crazy, but like, I, think, I think there is great merit to that. Now in September, that recommendation is sounding kind of sensible. We know that maintaining a physical distance, wearing a face mask, and thorough hand washing all help to reduce the risk of spreading the coronavirus. But none is fail-safe. It's doing them all together and quietly that offers the best chance at driving the pandemic into submission.
That was Jason Gale. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Jason Gale. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.